Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Man, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and look with me this morning at John chapter 17. John chapter 17, we, having finished our uh, Stronger series, we're now making our way back to the Gospel of John, and by God's grace, we uh, hope to finish that Gospel. Now, because I've preached through John 14, 15, and 16 in prior years, we're going to go from John 13 to John 17, and this morning, then, we find ourselves in what is known as Christ's high priestly prayer, and uh, I would call it, however, the disciples' prayer, because there he does pray for those who are his people. Now, as we come to this, what we're coming to is Jesus' final public prayer before the cross. Uh, He's offering it in the presence of his disciples. He's in the upper room, and I want you to picture this with me. He's just 48 hours from the cross itself. So there's a lot that's going to happen between this prayer and 48 hours when he's actually crucified. There's an arrest that's going to take place. There is a a trial that's going to take place. There are going to be beatings and, and all kinds of abuse that are going to take place for Jesus, and he knows that it is coming. So he's gathered with his disciples in the upper room, and this is what he's done thus far. He gathers them there, he washes their feet, he tells them that they are to serve each other the way he has just served them. He's spoken of his betrayal, he's pointed to his coming death, he's taught them where he's going, he's taught them what he will be doing, he's taught them who he will be sending in the Holy Spirit. He's taught them how they're going to relate to him in the days to come, like branches to a vine. He's shared with them how the world will hate them and how the Holy Spirit will help them and how sorrow is coming, but one day it's going to be turned into resurrection joy. And he concludes all of this by saying, if you'll look at the end of John 16, the last verse, he says, I said these things to you that in me you might have peace in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I want you to take heart. I have overcome the world. He then turns his eyes, the scripture says in John 17, 1, he turns his eyes to heaven and he begins to pray. The clock is ticking. Their time together is ending. He's leaving them to die for them. He's leaving them to return to his father. And so a crisis is coming. And it is the crisis that prompts this prayer of Jesus. He prays it, and I think this is so important. He prays it in their hearing. They're gathered around him, and he prays it in their hearing. He's looking up to his father, and he prays this in their hearing. They need to hear what he has to say. And it's for this reason it would be really hard for me to exaggerate the importance and the power of this prayer for them. And as we're going to find, this prayer for them is also, he says in his prayer, a prayer for those who would come after. It is a prayer for us. So it's, it's very, very difficult to over-exaggerate 
uh, how important and powerful this prayer is. For everyone who has seen the Father, for everyone who has heard the words of the Father as Jesus has given them, for everyone who has received those words, who has come to know that Jesus is the Christ, God's Savior, come from the Father for them, this prayer is important because it, it shows the heart of Christ for his people. And it shows what believers need most of all, more than anything else. Between his first and second coming, he lays out these requests. These are priorities for him. This prayer is powerful because the perfect son of God, knowing the father's heart and the father's will for his people. As he prays, he's praying in complete alignment with that will, which means that his prayers will be answered. And so I want you to see this as we make our way through this prayer. We're seeing Christ's heart for us, but we're also seeing our need. He's praying for these things because there are things we need we cannot provide on our own between his first coming and his second coming. And I want you to see with me that there is a power in this prayer in that the Father is agreeing with the prayer. Jesus is praying in perfect alignment. You can be absolutely sure that the Father is going to deliver on these things. And what that ultimately means for believers is this, is that what Jesus prays for, we should always be seeking. What he prays for, we should also be asking for. And watch this, not only for ourselves, but for our spouses, for our families, for the believers, for our church. These are the things that matter. Now, I want you to see with me that he asked for five things from his father for his people. And he says in John 17, I'm asking, Lord, uh, he, he says essentially this. He says, keep them close, make them safe, make them useful, make them fruitful. And when they're done, send them home. Keep them close, keep them safe. Make them useful, make them fruitful, and when they're done, send them home. Because he says in this powerful ending of John 17, because Father, I want them to be where, with me where I am. And I want them to see my glory. But that's for another sermon. Now as we Examine these requests that Jesus makes for us. I want you to notice, we, we find three things happening in every request. We find encouragement for living. This is why he's praying it out loud in front of the disciples, knowing that what he's asking for, the Father is going to do. So we not only find encouragement for living, but we find pointers for praying for ourselves, our families, and our church, knowing that what he wants most for us is found here, and we should want and seek these things first for ourselves and for others. But we also find some cautions and some warnings about the things we need to be mindful of and careful to avoid, knowing again that Jesus prays for our needs because they represent places of weakness for us that only God can address. So every one of these requests comes with encouragement, comes with pointers for prayer, comes with cautions or warnings. We need to see those, and if we do, we're going to be incredibly helped by what we see. So I want to begin to explore these with you today, for, for in these re requests we find peace, in these requests we find great joy, everything we need to live in this life. 
Notice with me in verses 11 to 13 that Jesus prays first, essentially this, keep them close. And he says, verse 11, let's read it together. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. Things are about to change. I'm leaving. They're staying. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me. Why? So that they might be one, even as we are one. Now, while I was with them, verse 12, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I, I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Now, the name of which Jesus uh, speaks here, the name of the Father in verse 11 that he makes so much of, the name that he kept them in in verse 12 is not a label any more than your name or my name is a label. I, I want you to read this. This is important. He says, Holy Father. He's speaking directly to his Father and he's, he's naming him in a way that is very, very important that he is holy is what distinguishes God. He is utterly different from us he is absolutely without sin, absolutely without evil. Everything else he is, is, is shaped by the fact that he is holy. Shaped by the fact that he's holy. Now, this, this, this name, though, is not just a label, any more than your name is a label. I guarantee you in your life, those who know you, when they hear your name, they see a picture. When they hear your name, they think certain thoughts every single time. Every single time. Your name comes not as a label, but as a marker for your reputation. When people see you coming, they, they don't think of your name. They think of your character. They think of your conduct. You're known by your character. You're known by your conduct. I'm known by my character, by my conduct. Steve Quartz means something. Bob Smith means something. Bob, if you're here, I didn't know it. I just trying to use a simple name. But it means something. It means he's responsible. He's irresponsible. It means he's kind. He's harsh. It means she's always angry or she's always happy. It means you can count on her to be always working for your good, or you can count on her to be always undermining you. Your, your name is your reputation. Your name is, is filled in. Its meaning is filled in by your character and your conduct. People see you, they hear your name, they link that up with either what they have experienced with you or what they have heard about you. Now that's incredibly important here for what Jesus is asking his father for. It's important for us to say that Jesus, when he came, 
came to show and tell us the Father's name. Now, I know that sounds strange to us, but if you'll stop using it as a label and start understanding it as representative of his character, his content, and his commitments, you begin to understand. He says, I, I kept them in your name. I'm asking you to keep them in your name. I showed them your name. He says earlier, I have put on display, and this is what Jesus did, your character, who you are. By my conduct, I show them how you conduct yourself. By my teaching, I shared with them the commitments that you have made from the beginning, from before the beginning of the world, during the creation, and all that you're intending after this old world passes away. I've, I've revealed all of that to them by the way I've lived, the, the character I've shown, the things I've said. They know that you're majestic because they saw majesty in me. They know that you're, you're almighty because they saw great power in me. They know that you're eternal because I've spoken to them of eternal things. They know that you're unchanging because they've watched me year after year go undergo incredible stress and pressure. I never changed. I never changed. I stayed committed. They've seen your wisdom in my wisdom. They've seen your holiness and my holiness. They've come to understand that you're love because they've experienced that love from me firsthand. Indeed, he is the ultimate final revelation of God's name. So much so that Jesus can say, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. There was no more need for guessing, no more need for questioning as to what God was like or what God was about. Christ has come and he's settled all that. He's shown us who the Father is. He's told us what the Father wants. He's told us what the Father's going to do. Everything we need to know ultimately and finally has been presented to us in Jesus. The results of all of that were from Jesus coming and his life and work and his words, that some saw what he came to display, some heard what he had to say, and they believed, and they went out from being a people of the world to being Christ's people given to him by the Father. And these are the people that Christ prays for throughout. With this background, then we can begin to understand what it is Jesus is after in his first request of the Father, which sounds so strange to us. Father, keep them in your word. When Jesus asked his Father to keep them in his, or keep them in, in, in your name, when he asked for this, Jesus is asking that the Father watch over his people, keep an eye on his people. He's asking that he keep his people close. He's asking, if you will, that he keep his people loyal to his character, to his conduct, to his truth, to living in holiness like his. He's asking that the Father keep believers strong in their faith so that they stick loyal, loyally to the Father and stay away from disloyalty and stay away from sin. And he's asking the Father to stick with them, keeping and guarding them throughout life, knowing that he will. And this, of course, is what Jesus himself did. And that's what he says in verse 12. He says, Father, I've been keeping them in your name and, and, and I've been guarding them and I've been successful with all of them except one the son of destruction, whom we know as Judas Iscariot. Judas had heard and Judas had seen and, and Judas had witnessed everything the other uh, 11 had. There was a difference though with, with Judas. 
Basically, what Jesus is saying is, I've kept them and I've guarded them and I didn't fail. I didn't fail with Judas. Judas failed himself. Because Judas, having seen everything that everyone else saw, having witnessed everything that Jesus uh, put on display, chose loyalty over uh, loyalty for himself over loyalty to the God who made him. I mean, his story is, is really a sad story. We just unpack it quickly. He becomes a disciple of Jesus, never puts his faith in Jesus. His faith was in Jesus' purse. The scripture tells us he was always taking money for himself out of Jesus' purse. People would give money to Jesus for the poor and, and, and for basic uh, uh, needs of life. And, and Judas was always taking it out for himself. When the money stopped flowing, Judas started going. And for 30 pieces of silver, he sold Jesus out. Why? Because his loyalty was to Judas. His loyalty, his, his God was money. Having more and getting more never really belonged to Christ. The scripture said, uh, says, predicted that this would happen. Psalm 40. 10 is probably the passage Jesus is pointing to, but he rejected God's son in that way. And so he was lost, doomed to destruction for going his own way and for rejecting, and for rejecting God's son. But notice this, since Jesus is returning to the father, he's asking the father to take up where he leaves off. Now, I want you to notice with me that with this plea, with this desire of Jesus, he says, keep them in your name. He's making the point that, that the first, perhaps, and the greatest need of every believer is, is loyalty. Loyalty to the God revealed in Jesus. Loyalty to the God who keeps us close to him. Loyalty to this, this one who is so majestic and powerful and eternal and changeless and full of mercy and wisdom and holiness and, and love. All of this happens as we allow the words and the work of Jesus to remain in our minds and shape our perspectives and direct our conduct. All of this happens as, as, as the life and the words and the teachings of Jesus are kept always at the forefront. And what, what he's ultimately saying is, oh, Father God, make, make, make my people loyal to you. Keep them loyal to you so that you're always at the very center of their lives so that you are, you're never pushed to the margin. Work, Father. Keep them close to you. Allow them to keep seeing you and understanding you through what I've left to them. But may they keep you at the center so that they remember constantly there's no life anywhere else, no life to be found anywhere else. And with God at, at the center, you'll notice that one of the results at the end of verse 11 is that this loyalty to the Father, this keeping him at the center, this sticking to him, this living committed to the holiness and the truth of who he is produces a unity. He says, do this for them so that they may be one even as we are one. And so the picture here is of a shared devotion to the Father as Christ revealed him. It, it unites those who have it. 
in ways that are like the unity that the father and son have. The father and son are unified in their purpose. They're unified in their love for each other and they're unified in their love for people and they're active together in such a way the scripture says that when the father acts, it is the son acting and when the son acts, it is the father acting. Two distinct persons in one Godhead. I know that's, that's, that's a challenge for us, but the idea is they are so unified. What one does, the other does. What one says, the other says. That is how close they are together. And the great secret of the church of Jesus Christ is found right here. When I have the God that Jesus revealed at the center of my life, and I'm honoring him with the majesty and acknowledging his majesty and, and his mercy and his grace and his love and his power, when I'm doing all of that and you are doing the same, nothing can separate us, nothing can divide us. But when my heart slips, division comes. When your heart slips, division comes, separation comes. Nothing will make for a greater marriage than a common commitment to Christ for this very reason. For this very reason. We will have the same purpose, we will have the same love, and we will have and, 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 and adore the same activities, we'll be committed to the same thing. When you have that in, in a family, extraordinary things happen. When you have that in a church, extraordinary things happen. Satan cannot get between what God keeps together with his mutual commitment to himself. But the point here is this. Father will do precisely what the, what the Son has done in watching over and preserving the faith of those who genuinely commit to him with faith in his Son. Jesus wants his disciples to know this. He wants them to know this because this is, this is the start of joy. This is the start of assurance. This is the start of confidence. Jesus knows and rejoices that his Father will not fail. His father will not fail him. His father will not fail his people. He knows and rejoices that those who are his will be kept and will be kept in the faith, even though he knows they're going to have moments of disloyalty and unbelief not long from now. They will forget much of what Jesus has showed them of who God is and what he can do. Not too long from now, they're going to lose sight of his majesty. They're going to lose sight of his power. They're going to lose sight of his wisdom. Not too long from now. The arrest, the abuse, the crucifixion of Jesus is going to represent the greatest crisis of their lives. And it will be a crisis of faith. Peter will be disloyal by denying Jesus. The rest will be disloyal by running for their lives and hiding as Jesus is arrested and crucified. And yet, and yet, and yet, and yet they will be kept. And so Jesus says memorably with these disciples listening in in verse 13, but now father, I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I, I want them to know You will not fail them, even if they lapse, 
and fail to keep you close, you will not stop working to keep them close. I love what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. He says to Timothy, listen, Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Even when our faith in him wavers, he doesn't lose his faithfulness to us. He keeps us his. He keeps us in his name. He is faithful. He's faithful to himself, to his character, to his nature, to his promises, and he's faithful to his people. Once you're his, you're his. God the Father doesn't abandon his children even when they struggle with doubt or fall into sin. He never throws up his hands and says, I give up. Some of you this morning need to hear that. He never looks at us and says, I'm done with you. He never looks at us and says, my love has run out. I want you to see the encouragement here. In answer to Jesus' prayer, all true believers are kept by the Father in his name, loyal to him, on his team, if you will, close to his heart in his hand. You can try to run, but if you're his, he will find you. You said, that sounds like a threat. Well, I don't know. He's a father. There's this little thing called discipline. But it's always because he loves you. In John 10, 25 to 30, Jesus says to those who refuse to see him and hear him, I told you and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you don't believe because you're not part of my flock. But listen, 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 my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And if we had any doubt about the power of his hand, he goes on and he says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Just by the way, in case you didn't understand this, I and the father are one. If you are his, you're his. You're his, your love. There's a prayer pointer here, and it is this. The way believers live loyal to the Father and in his name is by allowing the truth Jesus has given to remain in their minds, to shape their understandings, and to direct their conduct. It's how we live out the gospel. This is how we pursue holiness, and this is how we keep our faith strong, and this is how we can pray for ourselves and our families and our, our church. Oh, Father God, keep us loyal to you so that everywhere and all the time we keep you at the very center. 
There is a caution here as well. If you're a believer, you can never be lost like Judas because you are kept. You've experienced his grace amid your own sin and you are his, but while you can never become lost in sin, you, you can become trapped in it. And trapped in sin, you can still lose, not your salvation, but your joy and your peace and your fellowship and your confidence in Christ. You cannot be lost, but you can lose because sin still costs. The Father will not fail to keep us his. Even if we lapse and fail to keep him close, he will work to draw us back to himself. He will not deny so much relief here. There is so much release here. There is so much peace here to know that I am kept in the Father's name. Every time I fail, Satan wants to say to me, see, I love to point to this prayer of my master and say, let me tell you what I see. My father loves me. There's a second request that's made here, and that is, Keep them safe. Keep them safe. Look at verses 14 to 16. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world just as I'm not of the world. I don't ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Now notice this. Having prayed that the Father would keep believers close to him with faith in him, Jesus now prays that the Father will keep them safe in their faithfulness to him. Safe from enemies who work against that faithfulness. So he's saying, keep them in the faith. And then he's saying, keep them safe in their faithfulness. A critical distinction. Notice that before Jesus makes his request for safety, he, he gives two reasons for it in verse 14. First, because he has given his disciples the Father's words and the Father's words of life, uh, uh, of life and light changed their lives. They have become something different from what they were before. They're very different now. They're pursuing faithfulness to God in a world marked by radical unfaithfulness to its creator. And the world's reaction to this difference is hatred and rejection. Why? Well, because Jesus says, for example, in John 3, he says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. So having met a holy God in Jesus Christ, having seen his life, heard his words, having put their faith in him, their difference, that the, the difference that has come into their lives is now deplored, and the world in its darkness works to turn off the light, to turn down the light. 
or to shame us into covering the light and keep it to ourselves. One of the stories that came back from Swindon was of one of our, one of our members sharing the gospel. And uh, this is a classic example of what the world does. As the gospel was being shared, the man stopped uh, the sharer and he said, listen, that stuff is for inside the church. It does not belong out here. That stuff is for inside the church. It does not belong out here. Cover up that light. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. But here's the reality. This can't be avoided when believers live faithfully with Christ. As Jesus says twice here in verse 14 and verse 16, just as he is not of this world and not shaped by this world, so too his disciples are not of this world or shaped by it. In this world, believers are persistently pressured and shamed and sometimes persecuted to conform, uh, to, to confirm the darkness and especially to compromise and participate with it uh, in the darkness. Peer pressure is not limited to middle school. Taking sides with the same God the world has rejected will mean rejection by the world. And so Jesus is saying, keep them safe. Because this pressure makes the world a dangerous place, Jesus makes this request. You see it in verse 15 for his disciples. He says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Now, because the world is such a high-risk place for believers, we might expect Jesus to say, all right, Lord, this is gonna be so hard for them, take them out. Why, why, why don't they just come with me when I go? But he says instead, Father, don't take them out, but keep them in, and while you keep them in, keep them from, do you see that, the evil one. There's a direct relationship between the world and the evil one. Either Jesus, earlier Jesus explained this high-risk space, this hostile world of darkness by pointing to a powerful dark leader. Twice in John, Jesus calls him the ruler of this world. This evil one opposes the people who have left his rule to enter the rule of the God who is now their holy father. This evil one and his demonic cohorts are steady enemies of God's people, his church. They're always watching, always waiting to attack especially with temptations to disloyalty to sin. Listen, listen, listen. If the devil can't have you because of your faith in Christ, he will work to have your faithfulness to Christ. If you really wanna know what your enemy is after, he's not after your faith. He can't have that. It's done. It's settled. He wants your faithfulness. Faithfulness to Christ is our win. Faithfulness to Christ is our ultimate success. Fruitfulness is not the issue for us. It's always faithfulness. Am I being faithful on the job? As I'm driving that truck, am I being faithful? As I'm making interactions with others, am I being faithful? My win for the day is not how much fruit I bear. My win for the day is how faithful have I been to this majestic God of the universe who has all the power, all the wisdom, all the insight who is himself holy and who is righteous and is good and true. How loyal, how faithful have I been to them? That's my win. That's what Satan doesn't want you to practice. That's what he doesn't want you to do. 
So if it weren't enough for there to be a high pressure world that we live in, Jesus makes it plain there are also powerful spiritual enemies at work in and behind it all. This is so serious that he repeats what he said in verse 14 and verse 16. And he, and he says this, while believers must stay in this dangerous situation, neither they nor I belong here. And I think he's repeating himself because he wants us to hear and he wants us to understand. That we have an unrelenting, vastly more powerful enemy who acts as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we must be incredibly careful. And we must understand we don't belong here. We are made different from the world and we are made different from the world to make a difference in the world. Doing our duty as believers is always dangerous. It always comes with risk, but in the end, here's what Jesus is saying. Our Father will make our safety sure. Ours is to live receiving his help. As Paul says, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you can endure it. He provides a way of escape, and we've got to take it but he will keep us safe. They can harm the body, but in the end, they cannot take away our faithfulness. Not if from him we will draw our strength. Some encouragement then. The world can harass us. The world can even hurt us. But in the end, it cannot harm us. The world can't overcome us because Jesus has overcome the world. I mean, every time we walk out and every time we walk through difficult and challenging we walk out and every time we walk through difficult and challenging situations, I want you to see, I want you to understand. We have won. We have won. We have won. We have not lost. We have won. You may not see the victory yet. You may not, you may not, you may not feel the, the crown of victory on your head, if you will. You may not feel the medal around your neck, if you will. But the battle is won and done. The evil one can attack and sift us, but he can never finally have us. We're spoken for. We're bought and paid for. We are the fathers in Christ. Now, as a prayer pointer, that means that we've got to watch and pray against the influence of the world and the attacks of temptation coming from the evil one in our lives and in the lives of others. This is perhaps one of the greatest ministries of parents to their children in a Christian home. It's one of the greatest ministries of a husband to a wife and of a wife to a husband. It's one of the greatest ministries that we can have in our life groups is to be watching, watching, watching for the influence of the world and the attacks of temptation coming from the evil one. We do each other a world of good when we say to one another, brother or sister, what is this I see? What is this that is happening? 
Why are you speaking the way you're speaking? Why are you acting the way you're acting? I don't see Jesus in this. When we say those kinds of things without hubris, without pride, but when we say with, with humility, knowing we could be guilty of the very same thing the very next day when we recognize the danger that we're all in and the dangers that we all face, we do each other a world of good. We don't do each other a lot of good when we see sin beginning to be established in each other's lives and we say nothing. We do nothing. There's a caution here as well. We've got to be very careful with such enemies. Rejection by the people of the world and opposition from a supernatural power can lead to compromise with evil and compromised holiness done to appease the world and avoid its wrath. Retreat from the world to stay holy and under the radar and out of sight to limit the enemy's opposition is another temptation. Satan is always glad for you to hide. Satan is always glad for you to hide out and hold on. There's a reason for all this. Commitments of his father. In the same way that he was sent to put his father on display, you and I have been sent to put Christ on display. And when we put Christ on display, then the father's being put on display. But we were, we were designed to be different so that we might make a difference. And it is right here that the battle is joined. Because if the world can see no difference in us, they will see no Christ in us. And if we bear the name of Christ, but don't bear the difference of Christ, we actually turn them away from Christ rather than drawing them to him. This is the battle. This is the urgency. But here's, again, the encouragement. There's nothing they can do or say that can undermine our faithfulness because the Father is committed. He may allow them to hurt us. But if we will be, if we will be committed to him, he will work to keep us faithful. Give us grace upon grace. Whatever hour of need we're in, he does not fail. 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 Your father loves you. 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 He does not.
man, if I could, ma'am, if I could, I'd emblazon those phrases on your heart. Your father loves you and he does not fail. Some of you this morning are on the verge of wanting to give up. Some of you this morning are on the verge of wanting to give in. Temptation has become strong. Pressure has been great. My appeal to you this morning is, don't give in, turn around. See your father. See his love. See his deep commitment to you. Well, not. He never does fail. I stand all across the room. Father God, Father God, Holy Father, keep us in your name. Keep us in your name. Oh, Father God, keep us from the evil one. Keep us from his strategies to render us faithless. Oh, Father God, keep our families in your name. Keep our life groups in your name. Keep our church in your name. Loyal, faithful, with you always at the center. Oh, Father God, keep our marriages safe in faithfulness. Keep our families safe in faithfulness. Keep our life groups safe in faithfulness. Keep our church safe in faithfulness. Help us to know, always to remember that you love us and you do not fail. invite now our prayer team to come and we'll make our way to our response time. You know, I never know quite how a message like this one will land. I never know exactly what God is doing or what he will do. I never know what people are facing, but I do know he's always working. As we come now to this time, there are some here this morning who have heard rumors of this God who loves and rumors of this God who fails. Now I want to say to you, let the rumors end and let the truth begin. The God of this universe loves you so very much that he sent his one and only son to take your place and to pay the penalty for sin so that instead you might have life. And it's when you come and when I come to recognize and realize the reality of our sin and our need of a Savior, it's then that His grace comes and transforms us and gives us a new life. I invite you to that new life this morning. There's no life like it. Yeah, it's got risk. It's got some challenges to be sure, but my, 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 there's no father like this father. There's no love like his love. There's no joy like his joy. There's no peace like his peace. And he invites you to come to him this morning. There are others of you who are believers. Some of you need to come and simply say, yeah, I want to bless you, God, because I know that you love me. 
Some of you need to come and say, help me, Lord, because I feel like I'm right on the edge of giving up or I'm right on the edge of giving in. Some of you got other issues that come into your life for which you just need prayer. We have ladies here to pray with you, ladies. We've got men, we've got pastors here to pray as well. So I invite you to come in response to what you've heard, in response to this Father who loves you so deeply. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.